Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is money. And our expert is Brian Rosner, who is a graduate of the seminary. What year did you graduate, Brian? 88. I was 88. 84 to 88. Okay. Yeah. So he was a student early in my tenure here as a faculty member. Indeed. And, and then uh, he's now principal, which sounds like a great school. What is a, what is a principal? A Ridley College in Melbourne. So. Principal's like the president, okay. except uh, with not so much uh, fundraising responsibility. Okay. So, so the school's smaller, uh-huh. remember, so okay. I still teach, and uh, uh-huh. but but it's it's kind of uh, so. How large is Ridley? Uh, Ridley's got about three hundred students, okay. um, which by Australian standards is, is a sizable. Large. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. very good. Dozen faculty. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, it's a wonderful campus. Been there, um, and so uh, so it's great to have you with us here. Thank you, Daryl. Uh-huh. Yeah. One question for you: Do you still do the exegetes cheer in class? Uh, you know, I don't teach that class anymore. So there the context, context, context. I remember it has been handed off to somebody else. Okay. So. <laughs> but yeah, we used to exegetes cheer and walking in on the baby walker and all that kind of stuff. We, we you know, that's still all with me. Yeah, that's 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 a frightening thought, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Stood me well. Context is pretty important. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, let's talk about let's talk a little bit about money, Uh, Brian. Let's talk about how you got into a discussion that focused on the topic of money. Your background, of course, is you went from here and you went overseas to do your doctoral work. Yep. At uh, you were at Cambridge. Cambridge. Okay. And your dissertation was on. Well, it was kind of on moral teaching generally. So uh-huh. New Testament ethics has been a big interest for me mm-hmm. right from the start. So this is a subset of that interest, basically. Yeah, I was I was teaching at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, uh-huh. and I had a sabbatical in Germany. I mm-hmm. was a Humboldt scholar, as yes. you've been also. Yes. And I had twelve months. So I wanted to complete the project, so uh-huh. I picked something small. Uh-huh. So greed is idolatry is uh-huh. a little phrase in uh, Colossians and Ephesians. Absolutely. And I wrote a book and uh, and. So I spent three months on uh, actually four, three four months, months on greed months and on three greed. months on idolatry, yeah, <laughs> no. and, and four months on is. Oh, really? <laughs> which, which isn't as yeah. silly as it sounds. It's about yeah. the metaphor. Yeah, right. Yeah. Huh? How about yeah. that? Well, let, let's let's just dive right in here um, because people, when you raise the topic of money, you have the people who are for it and the people who are apparent, seemingly in some ways against it, and so uh, um, so. Uh, the the phrase that I often hear it is when it's done sloppily is money is evil, but actually it's the love of money that is the problem. So help us sort out um, how we should think about money biblically, and then and then the dangers. Yep. Well, the the phrase as you'll know comes from one Timothy six, mm-hmm. and the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's very important to keep the whole. Um, verse in mm-hmm. mind and then to look at the context. So uh, the love of money is evil. Money itself is not evil. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, both Jews and Christians regard material things, the body, uh, the earth, its fullness, 
et cetera, as, as a good thing. Mm-hmm. And Paul quotes uh, the Psalms and says, uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So there's a sense in which there is a bit of a trap there that people can think that when we're against greed, that we're against money. Mm-hmm. And even when the New Testament addresses people who are wealthy, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, sometimes Jesus says to give it all away. But on other occasions, it, it's less absolute. So a nice balance you'll find in 1 Timothy 6, in fact, where Paul says to those who are wealthy in this world, not to put their trust in wealth, but to be generous and willing to share and to remember that uh, to take hold of that which is truly life. So there's, it's a matter of emphasis, and, uh, but there is a risk and there are great dangers with money mm-hmm. because money can lead to apostasy. Even back in Deuteronomy, you've got that idea mm-hmm. that the God's people will come into the promised land and uh, it'll be flowing with milk and honey, and then uh, they'll think that we, we did this ourselves, and they'll forget God, end up worshiping idols, mm-hmm. and and that idea that you can end up trusting money instead of God is something you find right through Scripture. Yeah, I actually think the the First Timothy or One Timothy, we're dealing with the uh, <laughs> difference of an ocean pronunciation. The same book, here. actually. Exactly right. Um, uh, six passage is probably one of the better summary passages on the topic that you can find anywhere in the Bible. Oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, it does a good job of balancing uh, the tensions that you're dealing with. Well, let's talk about the positive side of, of this first, and then we'll come up with the dangers. And obviously, uh, money or economics is part of the management of the world that God gives us that actually reaches back into the, well, I would say the creation mandate is we've been tasked to manage the garden well, to uh, to steward our affairs in a way that hopefully is is positive and leads to some form of, of human flourishing in one way or another. And certainly, uh, money and economics and exchange of goods and gifts and and that kind of thing is a part of that, and money is a part of that overall system. So um, it'd be hard to know how else we would manage affairs if we didn't have something like money. Is that fair? Oh, that, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. And, and I don't think the Bible mandates a particular economic system either. Right. So I think that there's there are there's scope for humans to to come up with a, a structure and arrangement of things such that, as you put it, there can be human flourishing. Mm-hmm. So as money in and of itself isn't the problem, mm-hmm. it's our attitude towards the money, uh, mm-hmm. towards money, what we do with money. Mm-hmm. And so there's, uh, I mean, someone who goes to the book of Proverbs, in fact, skeptics tend to handle the Bible by saying, well, the Bible doesn't even have the same view on money as you move through the material, you know. Yep. Proverbs seems to be pretty pro and and other parts of the Bible seem to be pretty con, and so uh, well. Proverbs is interesting, of course. One of the few prayers in Proverbs mm-hmm. um, is where the sage prays, "Don't give me too much money, or I'll forget you, mm-hmm. and don't give me too little money, and I'll steal and deny you." Hmm. So there's a kind of uh, awareness um, a, of the a tension. sweet spot there, yeah. and, and certainly an awareness of that tension. You know, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, so uh, it's not so simple, is the point. No, there are risks and challenges and temptations for those who are less well-off and for those who are much better 
better off. Mm-hmm. So you started off in Deuteronomy. I guess we could make a sweep of the Scripture to a certain extent uh, uh, on the dangers. I actually think the teaching of Jesus goes in a similar kind of direction with similar kinds of concerns. We'll come back to that in a second. So let's talk a little bit about uh, – um, let's bring up the theme of, of greed, the danger, and uh, – have humans always been greedy? <laughs> uh, absolutely, <laughs> that's the short answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if anything's changed, it's that we regard uh, greed as of a less less of a sin than we used to. Mm-hmm. So, in the Middle Ages, you had the seven deadly sins, uh-huh. and they went in the order: pride, greed, etc. Uh-huh. But after a while, um, greed went to the top, uh-huh. <laughs> and Martin Luther. Um, pr- uh, preached against greed repeatedly hmm. and said that uh, the petition in the Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread, is really a, a petition against greed. Mm-hmm. But I think with the advent of capitalism mm-hmm. and free market economies and so on, mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity for wealth creation mm-hmm. uh, was much more prevalent. Mm-hmm. And people began to think that uh, there's nothing wrong with greed because having more and more is a good thing for everyone. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's that's the idea. Yeah, and the trick side of that, of course, is if you talk to economists about the history of the economy, they will say, well, you know, for centuries people lived and the size of the economic pie was basically the same for yeah, century after century. Economy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then – and then with the rise of capitalism capitalism and mechanization and the other things that made the production of goods uh, easier, all of a sudden the economic pie began to grow. Yep. And uh, people did have access to more. And the view was – uh, that isn't all bad, uh, you know. Th- there yeah. was some good that came out of that as well. Yeah. And so we launched into discussion about, you know, which kind of economic systems work and and that kind of thing. And so you had this move in this direction to uh, – uh, to appreciate uh, the the changes that had had come, but alongside of it came the opportunities to misuse what had been produced. And the other thing to say is there's an odd irony there in that uh, um, there are studies that show, especially with positive psychology, mm-hmm. uh, Seligman and others who who look at um, not not people who are having trouble, but people who are. Uh, succeeding in life, what what makes them successful, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and the funny thing is that those who strive for more wealth, the studies show, have lower well-being. Hmm. So getting more and more money doesn't necessarily make you ha- make you happy. There's another psychological concept, habituation. Uh-huh. So basically, uh, most the most pleasure comes from a new purchase just at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you have a small um, in the olden days, we all did uh, a, a computer, uh-huh. and now you have a big flat screen computer. I mean, it's just great. When right. I got my first flat screen computer at home, anyone who came to the door, I brought them in and showed them. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was really exciting. After a while, it's just my computer. Yeah, exactly. The same with cars, sofas, right. houses, iPhones. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, they yeah. end up um, giving you less and less pleasure. They just be, end up being your device or or lounge or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which money offers more than it delivers, mm-hmm. and that's one of the dangers mm. when we put when we put too much hope and put too high an expectation on what money can deliver. Hmm. 
So, uh, so we were, we were dealing with this question. So, people have always been uh, greedy. There's warnings, as you said, from Deuteronomy. There's uh, concerns in the prophets. Uh, I'm I'm headed uh, in a few days to a presentation in which uh, it's going to be from an economist, and uh, and I think the point that's going to be made has something to do with the relative level of poverty in the world. Uh, he is going to make the point that most of us who live in the West are not poor by global standards, et cetera. And so, so I, I'm thinking about this presentation, my response to it, and uh, I've told him uh, privately as we've prepared for this that I think my reaction is going to be then what do I do with the prophets? What do I do with these warnings that come that even though I may be doing seemingly pretty well, that actually in some ways adds responsibility as opposed mm-hmm. to removing it. Um, uh, is that is that your read? Let's talk about the Old Testament first. Is that your read of the Old Testament that there's a responsibility with the resources that God does give us and give us access to that we have that is important. Oh, absolutely. I think um, you would have to say, though, that in the Old Testament, blessing from God for the righteous very often is put in terms of material blessing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. However, there are a few voices, of course, that 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 qualify that. So mm-hmm. you've got Job and Ecclesiastes and and some of the uh, Psalms mm-hmm. that say that that doesn't. There isn't a firm link between righteousness and blessing. Mm-hmm. But even in that context, the idea that we're to share our possessions, to be generous towards the poor, is built into the warp and woof of the Old Testament. Yeah, let's talk. It's very clear right from the beginning. Let's talk about a couple of examples that are almost striking, and that I think uh, actually, even though they were put in the scripture, were hardly ever applied. (laughs) So I'm thinking of the Sabbath year in Jubilee. Okay, Uh, a good idea at the time. Yeah, (laughs) and and so what was the idea, and why didn't we do it? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure of the history as to why we didn't do it, but just to clarify, it, it's yeah. the it's the idea that after seven years, mm-hmm. um, um, all land returns to the original owners, mm-hmm. and all debts are set free, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, I think there there is a sense in which the way things were framed in the Old Testament puts a limit on um, unrestrained accumulation of wealth, mm-hmm. and. There is a uh, um, an acknowledgement that uh, if some people become so wealthy, others might suffer mm-hmm. in that limited goods economy, as you were talking about earlier. If mm-hmm. everyone lo- owns the land, mm-hmm. there's no land for anyone to, to, to farm for themselves. Mm-hmm. So there there is an acknowledgement in the Old Testament of um, a few things. One of the dangers of wealth, one of the responsibilities of those with wealth to be generous, willing to share, to look after the poor and so on. And uh, the other is almost a structural thing, which wasn't always followed, as you say, Mm -hmm. which tried to stop unrestrained accumulation of wealth by a few people. Now, I didn't ask you a question that actually should have been obvious at the start, and that is, why did you choose to write on greed as idolatry? I mean, what what drew you into the the topic? I mean... Well, I I think it's an intriguing idea, isn't it? It, Mm -hmm. It's... Remembering that idolatry is the worst sin in the Bible. Right. So to compare greed with idolatry is such a shocking notion mm-hmm. because we, we tend, as we were saying earlier, to, mm-hmm. to whitewash greed to some extent. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's a you, little sin. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. It's not what uh, Paul that, says. That's exactly it's not right. just Paul either. Because yeah. Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, you've got Jesus says um, you can serve God or money. Mammon. Mammon. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then Paul says in Philippians 3, is it Romans 16, that uh, the, the, his opponents, their God is their belly, uh-huh. which yeah. is a similar idea. Right. That uh, this desire for more and more can replace God. Mm-hmm. And I think that works in three ways. So basically, people end up trusting money rather than God. Mm-hmm. They end up loving money um, excessively mm-hmm. rather than God. And then they serve and obey. It's an odd idea, but I think it's true. People end up serving and obeying their possessions mm-hmm. and their desire for more. Or and the more drive for possessions, God. actually, is actually what we're talking about here. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, it, 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 and and there's a subtle thing about power and control that comes with uh, the use of money in certain situations, and yeah. power is another tricky concept in Scripture. <laughs> True. So, so the, the vice of greed mm-hmm. really turns up on its own. Mm-hmm. It, it's in lists, and there are connections with other vices. And the other vices have to do especially with pride and mm-hmm. oppressing others, those mm-hmm. kind of ideas. So the proud are particularly vulnerable uh, to the sin of greed, it seems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so let's come to the New Testament, uh, and we can let's start in the Gospels. And I think we've already alluded to the fact that this is something that Jesus said a lot about. If I were to really uh, draw some attention to how the Gospels work in this area, Luke in particular has a lot to say yep. about the way uh, money is handled. And I think one of the uh, chief passages where we see this um, illustrated for us is the parable of the rich fool, mm-hmm. which um, it, it, which is an interesting text because uh, this man falls upon a good crop. He basically does his job, right? And he ha- happens to have a, a really good crop that provides a lot of uh, a, a lot of possessions for him and a yeah. lot of means for wealth. Then he took investment advice. That's right. He he you know he he was a good farmer and and now the question is what are you going to do with what it is that you've been given? Yeah. And what we see in the passage is uh, I love when I when I teach this passage I make a point about how often the first person singular pronoun appears in this parable. You know, I will take my crops and, you know, et cetera. It's like 12 times in the space of yeah, three verses. That. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and what you see is, is that the pursuit of possessions had made, in some ways, his life and the way he lived at the center of his world. Yeah. Idolatry? Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so when, so when I, idolatry, I think, is um, it's a tricky concept, really, because it's obviously being used in a figurative sense. Mm-hmm. It's not that he literally uh, worships his money. Right. So there's a sense in which something has happened whereby God's exclusive rights to his trust and love and service have been replaced by something else. And I think that that's uh, that's unfortunately it's it's a very typical human response. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is the temptation for Christians as well, but for for people who have no faith, there's this vacuum in there, and something fills that vacuum because our deepest desires are um, to trust something uh, with our lives, with our future, and so on. And and 
if you're not looking to the true and living God as the source of that trust, then something else comes in. I think in that case, it's it's money, and that's that's the kind of that, that's the way I'd read the rich young ruler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and we're, uh, oh, sorry, and, not the rich young ruler, the the rich fool. Isn't right, it? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but the the th- the interesting thing about this is is that for me, this passage says, and the and the money is actually an indication of something that's going on in the heart, and the what's going on in the heart is. Uh, the resources that God gives me are being used for my own self-interests as opposed to anything else. You know, this becomes, you know, it's my crop, it's my barns, it's my wealth, uh, that kind of thing. And to come back to the image of idolatry, when I become the center of the universe as opposed to God being the center of the universe, it's a form of it's a form of idolatry, and we worship the plan and program of the creature rather than the creator. Yes, that's well put. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's one parable. There actually are several others. Another interesting parable in Luke. Uh, I wasn't anticipating doing this, but uh, we can, <laughs> can do yep. it. Uh, it is, is certainly the unjust steward in which there's a lot of debate about what is going on there. But the one feature of the passage that uh, is interesting is the way in which he cuts the debt of those around him as a way of thinking through the use of the future. And, and the movement to the future, and because he doesn't want to dig ditches or do anything else, when he gets out there, he's going to rely on the generosity of people helping him out now that he's lost his job. And uh, so, so where do you see the point of comparison in that parable? What's, what's it actually teaching? Uh, it's actually teaching that you ought to think through how you use your resources and, and, and almost do it. Now, my own view is, is that what he's done is he's cut out his own commission to reduce the debt so that um, so that and people will realize that he's taken a loss in order that they might in order that their debt may be relieved and that's the uh, making friends that's bit. the making friends with okay. mammon so that he moves out and and acts accordingly and, he, and Jesus commanding him to think ahead about the way you use the resources God has you and to use them uh, generously yeah. not selflessly or selfishly so that um, so that you get better use out of mm, them interesting yeah and then of course we have the th- third example coming later in the chapel the rich man and Lazarus which is another parable making a point about about the way in which we use our wealth and the way we help or don't help those around us. Yeah, uh, that's pretty full on that one. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's uh, I I tell people uh, some people read that passage and they think it's only about resurrection because the point made about resurrection oh. at the end, but yeah. it actually is about the rich man's complete oblivious approach to Lazarus being at his gate. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and in fact, this is the one parable where you have someone named in it. Indeed, yeah. And it's an important naming because it shows he knows who that guy is. He knows his even knows his name, but he did nothing yeah. at all to help it's him. It's interesting. The, the the rich man's not named. Though, yes, isn't it? that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So even though in in his own experience and in worldly terms, he's much more substantial. Right. The Lazarus, this poor man, is actually named and known. God knows who yeah. he is, yeah, and, the, and the rich man that? goes uh, yeah. completely nameless. Yeah, so, so the values of the world are often turned upside down in that sense, aren't they? So, yeah. so the idea that we look at the world and at people in terms of their material wealth is, is something that Christians should resist. Right. Yes, yeah, we're, we're to see people in different terms. Exactly. And, and the early church did this beautifully when it went well, that they, they didn't 
uh, distinguish between people in material terms, and they treated even slaves as brothers and sisters on an equal status with um, the wealthier in one body. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. But there are things that we do with money that indicate status and importance and position and sometimes power because you can use money to control your environment and control other people that also makes it uh, a potentially um, problematic resource if it's not used wisely. Sure. Um, and 1 Timothy 6 we talked about right. um, briefly already. And, right. And it's, uh, uh, the end of the passage is, is really quite enlightening, I think, because yes. it, it helps us with this notion of an identity. So in our day, people are self-made, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you basically put yourself together. Um, you can change yourself right throughout your life. And one of the ways you put yourself together is through money, mm-hmm. through the brands you wear and what you own, your right. address, the car you drive, and so on. You establish your identity. Yeah. Whereas um, 1 Timothy 6, and right throughout the Bible, in fact, there's a very different approach to identity. Right. And its identity is not self-made. It's given to you. Right. We're known by God. We're, we're his children, all those kind of ideas. And with respect to the question of the wealthy, um, what, uh, I love the way Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that they're not uh, to think that uh, that their money is what defines them mm-hmm. because they're to um, take hold of life, which is life indeed. Mm-hmm. So people think they're getting the best life possible by accumulating wealth, but the truth is that there's something more important. So in a sense, one, one way of saying it is that should I desire to be rich? Well, one, you could say, yes, you should desire to be really rich, rich towards God. Mm-hmm. So something about human beings where we're constantly wanting more and more, that's what a human being is. Mm-hmm. There's this desire for more. And if you're alive, you want more. Mm-hmm. But more of what is mm-hmm. the question. Mm. And uh, more of God, more of human relationships, more of those m- genuinely lasting, meaningful things are what we should be looking for. The problem with money as an idol is that, like all idols, it's a God that fails. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and so these efforts, it, it ends up being an effort to put us in a position that we never were designed in some cases to have. In other words, made in the image of God, we're designed to reflect Him and know Him. And and when the things of the creation become the things that drive us, uh, we become detached from the very purpose for what we've been made for. Yeah, Augustine talks about the idea that when you take something good and Mm -hmm. make it ultimate, it Mm -hmm. ends up being an evil thing. Hmm. So it's not, as we talked about earlier, it's not that money is itself evil, but when when it's put into a place where it doesn't belong, when it's given when something contingent like money becomes absolute, 
then you you fall into the trap of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And 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 the idolatry is is subtle because, like I say, I think part of what what we've said is is that not only does money come to be an idol, but in a sense. It, it because it's an expression of who we are. We put ourselves in a position of being uh, being more important than we are, and and more the center of the universe than we are. No, I think that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's let's transition. We've we've beat up money pretty good here, so <laughs> okay. yeah, uh, or at least the way we respond to it. Uh, let, let's flip it around and ask. Now, obviously, on the other hand, there are good things that can be done with the resources that God gives us, and yep. and in fact, it it probably is worth saying that in the church, that's something that should be focused on. It's the potential for good that comes out of the way we handle uh, what it is that God gives us, and the resources that come our way. So uh, I'm going to ask two questions that look like they're juxtaposed to each other, and they are to a certain degree, but um, on the other hand, I think they'll set us uh, on the track of, a, of another book that you wrote that was a popularization of uh, greed, is I, greed is Idolatry to uh, Beyond Greed. And, uh, and so why is contentment such a challenge? That's question number one. And and. And what's the remedy uh, for um, for handling money well? Yep. Um, wh- one of the problems with contentment in our day is is globalization, mass media, etc. So, whereas in the past, in traditional societies, you compared yourself just with the people in your village. In mm-hmm. our day, you compare yourself with everyone. Mm-hmm. So, there's a sense in which you're never satisfied because you think, well, there's that person over there has got more than I have, mm-hmm. and uh, we're constantly bombarded with advertising. So, just in terms existentially, it's very difficult to be content when all the messages coming at us are about our uh, inadequacy and the fact that we need more and more things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually in terms of giving, the sharing of possessions, which uh, incidentally was of course one of the marks of the early church. Mm-hmm. So the early church was very much known for three things. One, um, sexual ethics, which they were uh, much more uh, committed to chastity and marriage. Um, and then uh, um, they didn't worship idols, so they worshipped the true and living God. Mm-hmm. But the third thing was they shared possessions. Hmm. And they were so well known for that, there are some philosophers in the second century who said, if you're hard up, just pretend to be a Christian, go along and <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll help you out. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think um, the, the whole idea of contentment is of fundamental importance for this reason, and it's that most of us think that we could give more if our income was better. Mm-hmm. But the truth is... The, the biggest obstacle to giving is our contentment mm-hmm. because you can always find something more to spend your money on. Mm-hmm. And when I get a pay rise, I can always find something to, to, to use it for. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was reading uh, uh, Lewis's uh, Mere Christianity recently, mm-hmm. and he's got a little test to tell whether you're um, acting properly with your money. Mm-hmm. And he said it's this. Basically, you work out where you are in terms of your um, – um, resources and affluence and so on, and compare yourself with non-Christian people, people who are not committed to God. Mm-hmm. And if you're having, if you drive the same kind of car, have the same kind of holidays, live in the same kind of house, have the same kind of furniture, you've got a problem. Uh, so that's the interesting. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah. So there should be a sense in which our giving and our generosity 
lowers our standard of living, if you like, mm-hmm. and uh, it's pretty challenging. You know, uh, you remind me of, of people who, who go overseas and they, they get dropped in a two-thirds world country, and they see the kids and the families that are there, and they recognize these people aren't making near the amount of money that I am, but they seem to be pretty happy. <laughs> and, 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 and it's like this shock. And, and, and you go, no, there's something pretty profound happening here, which they sense. It's, it's like they've got an antenna that senses there's something here that isn't quite equating, but, uh, but and there's something to learn from, and then you wonder if the lesson is going to stay or not. But still, I, I think it's it's interesting that we sometimes think that uh, that possessions uh, will um, somehow soothe us, and yet you, as you noted earlier, some of the people who are most adept at gaining resources and possessions are some of the most unhappy people in the yeah, world. Yeah, it does happen, and yeah. uh, I think. Um, this brings us to another very important about the uh, uh, point about the way the Bible treats these matters. It's it's not in the end negative. Mm-hmm. It's not just saying say no to greed. Mm-hmm. It's say yes to something better. Mm-hmm. So even in the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. where Jesus says uh, you can either serve God or Mammon, he says the Gentiles, those who don't know God, run after and seek these things. What mm-hmm. what will wear. And what we'll eat, and so on. Jesus says, interestingly, your life is more than what you eat and what you wear. Mm-hmm. So your identity is not to be found in those things. Mm-hmm. But he says, don't seek these things, but rather seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so there's a there's a redirection of desire. And I think in my own life and looking at the lives of friends, the times when we're less greedy and obsessed with material things is when we're absorbed in other things, in other people's lives, mm-hmm. in in seeking God's will and kingdom. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so. So we should be generous. And what does that mean about the nature in which we are generous and the way in which we give? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, some, some Christians understandably think that tithing would be a, a good kind of way to go. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, Paul, for example, never endorses tithing. Mm-hmm. He says we're not under the law. Mm-hmm. In 2 Corinthians 9, he says that we're not to give uh, reluctantly or uh, uh, as someone who's being compelled. Um, but he does seem to endorse proportional and deliberate giving. So mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, at the beginning of each week, set aside money in accordance with your income. That's mm-hmm. how some of the translations mm-hmm. put it. So I think there's a sense we can learn from the teaching about tithing in the Old Testament that proportionate giving can be good. But um, the truth is it's more complicated than that in that there are seasons in life whereby we're going to be better off at some point than in others, and Mm -hmm. perhaps we can be more generous in those seasons. Mm -hmm. And for some people, 10% is just nowhere near enough. Yeah, yeah. Because their resources are just so much more substantial Mm -hmm. that 10% is not going to make much difference to them. Yeah, and the way the way I tend to view the 10% thing is that if I if I if I give a set percentage and say that is what determines my giving, I'm going to give up to that point and then everything else is kind of mine. Uh, it, it seems a little bit imbalanced. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, okay, I've checked the box, but have I really thought about 
the generosity that is involved in the choices that are made in association with meeting needs, seeing what's going on around me, that kind of thing. It seems yeah. like a very mechanical way to go about giving. Yeah, and I think the New Testament's view of giving would best be summarized as the sharing of possessions. Mm -hmm. So it does involve giving money, but it's not just about money. It's about mm -hmm. hospitality, for example, um, about if you've got um, another car and someone needs one and lending it to them. If you happen to have um, a house while you're away, letting someone stay in your house. It's, it's as you were talking about earlier, it's, mm -hmm. it's about not focusing um, so exclusively on myself, mm -hmm. but seeing the potential uh, to share possessions with others. Yeah, how can I help? How can I be of help to someone who has need? How can I stretch out a hand? How can I give a resource? How can I help someone who's uh, in ministry and has a need? There are all kinds of options. Yeah. But having said that, yep. I, I think the the first day of the week idea mm -hmm. that Paul mentions in one Corinthians sixteen is helpful in that I think there is a sense in which we should look at our giving early mm -hmm. in our budgeting. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of set and forget. For most of our giving, right. So, I mean, because otherwise there'll be always be expenses and potential purchases that'll reduce our giving. Mm -hmm. So, I think uh, having uh, giving to your local church, giving to mission, giving to uh, justice and mercy. Can I say this? Giving to your seminary or theological college. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> They're the kind of things that yeah. should be just set in our budget from right. the beginning, but then looking for those opportunities, as you mentioned, right. as life goes on, yep. that uh, can be more spontaneous. Yeah, I mean, just to give a particular example, I mean, it, it, uh, we have we had three children growing up, and they've grown up. They're out of the house. They're, uh, they have been duly handed off to other people to be responsible for, at least the two daughters. Uh, son is waiting to take on that responsibility still. Uh, but, uh, but because they're out of the house, the amount of expenses that we had just to manage the house, which were very, very demanding, particularly when they were in college, um, all that has changed now. We have a lot more what's called discretion. Discretionary income. Yeah, it's a different and, season. Exactly yeah, right, yeah, and yeah. and we and we delight actually in being able to take what God has. We've kept our standard of living kind of where it was, and delight in taking that excess and uh, and figuring out ways to distribute it to to people who we know have real needs and who are really engaged in ministry. Well, that, that's really encouraging, Daryl. I mean, another mistake I think we make is not to talk about these things mm -hmm. because people use what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount: "You shall not." let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and think it's all got to be done in secret. Right. Whereas Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says to one church, look, those guys are giving a lot more than you. Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with, with – uh, um, we have to be careful with our motives. Right. But, but sharing. Right. You know, those occasions where we've had opportunity to give as an encouragement to others. Yeah, and I think some people – you know, it's interesting. Uh, I We had an aunt in our family who – just didn't get giving to missionaries or anything like that. She just thought it was uh, – now, she wasn't a believer, but she just thought the whole concept was strange. But the whole idea of partnership in ministry through your resources is actually a pretty important theme, and Paul praised it on numerous occasions. He mm. called it – he called a, at one point he called a form of it fellowship. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and so obviously it, it, it's a way of connecting to people that we tend not to think about. 
And it's a lovely thing, isn't it? Yeah. To, to think that you're partnering with someone who's doing a good work somewhere. Mm-hmm. As you say, you've got that phrase, is it in Philippians? They're partners in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one way to partner in the gospel is not just to preach it, but to, to give to someone who's preaching it. That's right. And of course, you get to extend your reach. I mean, churches, when they talk about this, talk about their, their reach being extended beyond where they're physically located. And that's very much a way to see it. It also is a way of underscoring, if you want to view it uh, from an ecclesiological or a church background. It's a way of showing that the church is not about walls and buildings. It's about ministry. It's about ministry to different people in different contexts. It's about taking the gospel out into the world, those kinds of things. Mm. And how we act as individuals and as churches speaks volumes about what we actually believe. And ultimately, it reflects back on God and his reputation. It's and our behavior, God, and the gospel's reputation are all connected. Yes, like and it, it or not, that's <laughs> right. And 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 the interesting thing here is you can think about that individually, or you can also think about it as churches. You yeah. know, yep. I, I often so I, I hear about some churches who say we don't give any. Thing to missions, you know that the the we take all the money that we have, and our goal is to be the mission here. But they don't have any sense of extension or connection to anyone else. And I go, ooh, I'd rather like to think through the ecclesiology of what that represents. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me that's a very self-focused way to think about ministry, as if you're the only church on the block that matters. No, I think that's true. The the and the New Testament, of course, is is much. But people exaggerate this because there still is an individual focus. But mm. there is a corporate focus to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And rather than thinking, how am I going in my relationship with God? One question to ask is, how are we going? Mm-hmm. How are we going in our local setting and congregation? In terms of all these questions, are we as a group generous towards outsiders, to the needy, and so on? Yeah, in fact, I think about when I used to, I joke about the disciples' prayer that uh, it's the disciples' prayer and where the apostrophe goes matters. <laughs> you know, it goes yeah. after the S, not before. Yeah. It's in a plural, it's not in a singular. So it's not my individual prayer before God. It's actually a prayer we're all supposed to pray together before Lord because we share the same assignment and responsibilities before Him in the same, and we share the same dependence. Yeah. Yeah, and again, the, the, the whole business of giving, um, you can see the, the theme of reciprocity coming in mm-hmm. and, uh, in, in Paul's letters. Yes. Where um, in the, the long passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about the, the giving to the poor saints in Jerusalem, Paul says that uh, out of your abundance you can give now and, and maybe in the, in, the, in the future there'll be a, a, a reciprocal arrangement where someone will help you in return. So there's, uh, money is a way of expressing our interdependence mm-hmm. with other people, our connection with them. Yeah, and, and, he, and, and he actually has a variety of ways of arguing because another way that he argues is if I've ministered to you in spiritual things, then mm-hmm. certainly you can uh, – and I appreciate the fact that you've given back in a material way. So yep. uh, there's that dimension of the argument as well. So it, it works in, a, in layers almost. Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so okay. So we're, we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, uh, so, uh, what what summary advice would you give to people as they think through this kind of area? As we kind of pull together the strands of what we've yep. been talking about. Um, well, with respect to the question of greed, mm-hmm. I think it's sometimes um, 
wrong just to focus on one side. So there's two sides to greed. One is the excessive desire for more and more, Mm -hmm. but then there's the retention and selfish keeping Mm -hmm. of what we have. Mm -hmm. And so there are two solutions to that. One is uh, um, a sharing of possessions, which is the solution to the keeping bit, and then a contentment, which is the solution to the uh, um, gathering and um, unrestrained uh, grasping for more. But as I said earlier, one of the most important things is simply to focus on something that's better mm-hmm. and to change, uh, not so much simply to quash those desires for more and more, uh, but to redirect them. Um, I mean, speaking personally, when I think about some of my own finances and those kind of things, you're putting away money for retirement. How mm-hmm. much is going to be enough? Mm-hmm. The answer is you, you can never get enough. Right, right. <laughs> That's the kind of advice you get. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So I have to ask myself, for my retirement, am I trusting in my superannuation fund mm-hmm. or am I trusting in God? Mm-hmm. In the 19th century, when insurance was introduced, Christians said we're not having a bar of it. Because it's it's a, we, we trust God for our future, not insurance. Hmm. Now, I'm not advocating that radical an approach, uh-huh. but it does kind of temper things, doesn't mm-hmm. it, to think um, from that point of view. So what's the motivation behind my material behavior, my behavior with respect to money and material mm-hmm. things? And to ask ourselves uh, those three questions in particular, do I trust God, love God, and serve God more than I do money? Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, this has been a, a, a fascinating uh, journey. Let me ask you uh, one more uh, one more question, and that is: All right, so we come to the more, and we think through uh, the life uh, uh, that that God gives us beyond our resources, beyond money. Um, obviously, relationships matter, communities matter, that kind of thing. Uh, what what comes in either alongside or replaces money um, beyond or within our devotion to God? Not sure I've got the question. Well, uh, what I'm asking here is, okay, money ends up occupying a lot of our attention and, and commitments. Uh, we, we're oriented towards God. What, what shows that our orientation towards God is more in line than our commitment to the possessions okay, yeah, that we yeah. have? Now, that's a good question because we tend to think of greed as a kind of um, intangible, invisible thing. Right. It's just an attitude. It's in your head. Right. Whereas the New Testament doesn't think that way. Mm-hmm. So the sharing of possessions mm-hmm. was the way that you knew that someone wasn't greedy. Mm-hmm. So in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says to exclude those from the church, really mm-hmm. heavy instructions, mm-hmm. for serious sins like sexual immorality, idolatry, etc. And greed's in there. Right. And you ask yourself, well, how do you recognize greed? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is um, that the, the person who is um, not being greedy is sharing their possessions with others, being hospitable towards outside. So there's a concrete expression of what's going on Absolutely. that you can see. Yes, I think so. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brian, I, again, thank you for coming in and talking about uh, money and greed and idolatry, all these wonderful topics. Uh, that, when you put them juxtaposed in that way, it may not sound <laughs> like it, but certainly generosity, hospitality, caring, the way in which resources are uh, a means rather than an end in some ways is really what we've been talking about. And uh, it's it's been a, a fascinating journey through some, some texts and some ideas, and uh, the books that you've written are greed 
greed is idolatry and beyond greed, and uh, they are good treatments of Pauline ethics in these areas, and we really do uh, thank you for taking the time to come in and, and talk with us about this. Yep, thanks, Daryl. Yeah. And we thank you for being a part of the table and for joining us in this conversation. We look forward uh, to hearing again or seeing you again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?